Welcome into another episode of the Athletics Prospects to Pros podcast. I'm your host, Chris Burke, joined here by Dane Brugler. Uh, we got producer Kent Garrison behind the scenes. Uh, just another reminder, in case this is your first time swinging through, we have two episodes per week. Uh, this first one's free for everyone. You can find it on Apple Podcasts and elsewhere. And then we'll have one later in the week uh, on Thursdays that's exclusively for uh, subscribers to The Athletic. So make sure you get signed up and get that subscription. That gives you access to all our podcasts, uh, which is a, a growing network, some really good shows on there. And then also all our uh, written content as well, spanning all, you know, however many sports and teams we're, <laughs> we're covering these days. It's most of them, I think, that are out there. So, um, But uh, we're going to get into, as we usually do with our first show of the week, uh, looking back at what just happened in the football weekend. Um, I guess, Dane, uh, my first question is, did you stay up for the end of the UCLA-Washington State game? No, I, I did not. And <laughs> I was a little uh, surprised when you know I went to bed and looked like Washington State uh, was going to pull away and beat UCLA, a UCLA team that has barely showed a pulse through the first two weeks, and then uh, find out, wake up and find out that UCLA scored, uh, you know, like what, 50 points in the second half? I mean, just remarkable that a team could have a quarterback throw for nine touchdowns and lose. Uh, it just, uh, Pac 12 after dark. Uh, did its own version of action, and it was it was something <laughs> to behold. Now, good on UCLA because they were what uh, UCLA and Vanderbilt were the only Power Five teams yet to have a win, and uh, Vanderbilt mm-hmm. lost. Uh, so UCLA was able to uh get their name off that list. Uh, didn't think they could do it, but hey, to their credit, uh, they were able to and. Good for uh, that program because it's been a pretty depressing start to the season, and that hopefully that's a turnaround for them. Yeah, you mentioned the nine touchdown passes uh, for Anthony Gordon there. I, just it, insane to have that type of performance and not come away with a win. 570 yards. He was a, a JUCO guy and then sat sat on the bench there at Washington State. I mean, do you have any – no, it's pretty early in his career as a starter here. you have any pulse on him as uh, a draft prospect moving forward? Well, considering that the last two Mike Leach uh, quarterbacks at Washington State both started in the NFL this past weekend, uh, talking about Gardner yeah. <laughs> Minshew and Luke Falk, uh, you know, I think we you have to take him seriously. Uh, you know, he's putting up production. And, you know, the gaudy numbers are, of course, a product of the system itself and the way they do things. Uh, but, you know, you can't necessarily hold that against him. You just have to take that into context. And, uh, you know, I think you see a lot of things – that made Minshew so productive last year. You see a guy that's in rhythm. You see a guy that understands timing. Uh, he understands placement and touch. Uh, you know, it's an offense that's designed to get the ball out quickly, put the ball in, in the hands of their receivers. A lot of slants, a lot of uh, you know chances to catch and go. Um, you know, they they do have a run game with Max Borgie, uh, but they also like to. Uh, drop the ball off to their running back on screens and things like that. So I, I think that he is something, someone that we need to watch. And, uh, you know, can he earn a senior bowl invite? Can he keep this up and have scouts convinced that he has draftable potential? Uh, sample size is very small, but so far I think he definitely has our attention. Yeah, that was probably the wildest game of the weekend, although there were quite a few options in the top 25. You had the, you know, the – Pit Pit special for the win there, and uh, Colorado Arizona State went to the wire. Uh, SMU had the 
three-point win at TCU. Like a lot of good – Texas-Oklahoma State was really good. Um, but And we kind of touched on – uh, that game a little bit last week's show and a couple of the other ones that uh, we mentioned, you know, Michigan, Wisconsin, that Auburn A&M game. And I guess we can start with uh, Georgia Notre Dame, which was, uh, I mean, I think for most people watching that just look like two really good teams uh, going at it. I don't know that we've heard the last of Notre Dame this year based on what we saw from them in that game. Um, we talked about a few of the matchups that, uh, you know, we were looking forward to in that game. Um, any of those names that we we hit on last week really stand out for you, or was there any uh, another guy maybe who jumped off the page during that uh, Georgia win? Well, the big matchup going in was Andrew Thomas, a left tackle uh, for the Bulldogs, going up against Notre Dame's pass rushers, uh, specifically Julian Aquara. And I thought Andrew Thomas was dominant. Um, you heard mm-hmm. uh, Aquara's name once or twice, but that was about it. And uh, he had a pretty quiet game. Kareem on the other side. Uh, had a few flashes, but for the most part, uh, the Georgia offensive line was able to hold up, even though they had two pretty big uh, injuries. Uh, but the left side with Andrew Thomas, uh, he, he locked it down. And it wasn't just the pass in pass pro uh, where he's usually the most dominant. He showed up in the run game as well, uh, especially when he got to the second level. He's able to take out linebackers. Uh, just looks like he's so nimble for a guy that's 6'5", 320 pounds. And with his length, he in, he's really able to stay balanced at contact so he can move guys on while he's in motion and not lose that balance, not sacrifice his balance to take out uh, the defender. So I thought Andrew Thomas was as advertised. Um, if you got your uh, time machine and went to April and just came back and told me he was a top five pick, would not be surprised at all, uh, especially considering the position that he plays. Uh, a lot of NFL teams looking for tackle help. Andrew Thomas, arguably the best tackle uh, in the in the country and one of the better tackle prospects we've seen come out in, in recent years. So um, I thought he acquitted himself nicely. And then we have to give credit to Jake Fromm. Um, Pete Sampson, our Notre Dame uh, writer uh, at The Athletic, had a really good stat uh, from Fromm from that game. When Notre Dame uh, brought five or more uh, rushers he was five of eight for 62 yards and a touchdown it was the the game winning touchdown uh, he was really stepped up to the plate at home in a, a crazy environment against a team that like you said i mean they notre dame played fairly well for the most part uh i thought they kind of uh, disappointed a little bit with the uh, the way they. I mean, I, I'm a big Cole Komet fan, but you know they mm-hmm. waited way too long to get Chase Claypool involved in the offense, um, and they really put so much on Ian Book that they didn't have a consistent run game. Uh, but on defense, they they held their own for the most part, and uh, you know Jake Fromm, that offense is not really set up for him to light it up through the air. I think he had one pass of ten plus yards uh, in the air in the first half. And then in the second half, they kind of let him uh, let loose a little bit, and uh, that's that was really the difference. So uh, DeAndre Swift was DeAndre Swift; he was productive. So I thought the it was the usual suspects for Georgia on offense, and I think that really made the difference in the end. What'd you see? Yeah, well, I had Cole Komet down as one of the guys I wanted to ask you about. I had a couple tight ends from this weekend. It was Komet, and then I had Jacob Breland from Oregon. Uh, mm-hmm. Had a night, really nice touchdown catch on a great throw from. Uh, Justin Herbert there but yeah Komet um, finished with 108 yards scored a touchdown was impressive it was I I thought we were going to see more from Okawara like you said we talked about that matchup 
Um, I think one of the two, two or three times we heard his name, he had flipped to the other side of the line uh, and beat Georgia's right tackle to get in right. uh, and create some pressure. So even when he did make an impact, you know, it wasn't necessarily heads up in that uh, superstar matchup we talked about. And as a, as I said last week, that's sort of one of the benefits of Julian Okora's game is that you can shift shift him around and, you know, if something's not working one spot, you can try him somewhere else and he has that versatility. So I guess at least maybe you check that off uh, again. But, yeah, a disappointing um, night for him. I'm sure for Notre Dame to lose that game. Um, you know, like I said, I kind of wanted to pick your brain on Komet, but I also wanted to go back to the quarterbacks because, like you said, there wasn't a lot downfield at all. Um for uh, Fromm, he was at uh, he finished at seven point two yards per attempt. Book was at five point nine yards per attempt. On the other side, a lot of you know dump offs, a lot of short crossing routes, um, and I guess just in the bigger picture of things, both for those guys, uh, maybe Fromm specifically, but in the bigger picture of things, when you're evaluating quarterbacks, like how difficult is it when those are the schemes that they're in? We were just talking about Washington State. Um, we've talked about you know what. Oregon had the game early in the year where uh, there's a lot of short passes for them. That was basically their run game in their opener. You know, they're just throwing passes to the perimeter. And um, does it make it more difficult to evaluate QBs when you're not seeing them ever? I shouldn't say ever, but you're not seeing them frequently, you know, push the ball downfield a lot. And that's obviously an element of a lot of NFL offenses. I'm kind of curious just your take on that, if it makes it harder for you when you're evaluating these guys. Yeah, it, it does. Um, and, you know, when, especially with Georgia's offense where they rely on the run game and they want to uh, win with underneath throws. Uh, and when they do let Fromm throw, you know, 10 plus yards down the field, 15, 20 yards, it's a lot of back shoulders. It's a lot of timing routes. Um, you know, it's not really uh, allowing Fromm to step up, climb the pocket, and then just fire a strike on the post. Uh, you just don't see that a lot in that offense. And, you know, I think it's it's kind of their identity. Um, it's what we saw the last few years. It's not just – I don't think it's just from. Um, but at the same time, you have to ask yourself, okay, do, do the coaches not fully trust uh, from to – and his arm? Because he's – when you talk about physically, uh, Jake Fromm is very, very average. Average height average athleticism, average arm strength. Uh, but where he is really so impressive from an evaluation standpoint is his accuracy. Uh, he puts the ball on his targets where it needs to be, where the defender cannot make a play on the ball. Uh, but, but then also, uh, you know, his, just his mental capacity, I mean, his ability to understand what the defense is doing and uh, you know they're trying to take away this okay well I'm going to do this and you know he just he takes what the defense gives him and it's a lot of underneath stuff like I said uh, in four games uh, he only has like what six passing touchdowns I mean he's is just hasn't uh, doesn't really have the production that you want but he's completing passes and he and George is winning because that's the formula they use but yeah to your point it, it makes it a little more difficult uh to evaluate him fully and that's why you know the the senior bowl and so many of these all-star games are so important to see him uh in a different setting than what he was asked to do in college and it doesn't matter if it's from an air raid offense where you're bringing him more to a pro style or a, a team or a guy like Jake Fromm who's in a uh, under center pro style scheme, but not asked to let it loose a lot. So Jake from, and like we've talked about before 
Fromm's just not going to be for everybody. I think that he is going to be best in a West Coast style system where uh, it's a lot like his college days. It's a lot of underneath stuff, a lot of uh, easy throws and you know outs and slants and uh, you know where he's able to use his mind and his quick thinking approach to read the defense and understand where the void is going to be and then uh, you know have that chemistry with his targets where they know exactly where uh, he's going with the ball and uh, relying on the run game and I, that could be a formula for success uh, you know in the NFL and uh, you know, will he be able to maybe expand upon that? Like maybe like a Drew Brees did? Because, you know, you could compare him to Drew Brees and how he was uh, coming out of Purdue. And of course, Drew Brees, once he got to the NFL, was able to uh, blossom even more. Can Jake Fromm, does he have the arm to do that? Uh, debatable. And, and so it's the Jake Fromm evaluation is going to be really, really interesting as we go through this year. And that's even assuming that he comes out. I mean, who knows? He might uh, want to go back. I mean, he seems like he loves it there and he might want to go back for a senior year. So we'll have to see. Yeah. And I obviously didn't mean that, I guess, as a knock on from around Georgia. It's working clearly. You know, they're a team that's right. uh, 4-0. He's got a top 10 win. Um, he looked like a playoff contender. And as you said, he was, uh, when he had to be good, he was good. Uh, against the Blitz, he had the drive um, to put him up 20-10 to 10, where he completed three passes. I think all of them were to Lawrence Cager. Um and had the touchdown pass there. That's maybe another guy we need to talk about at some point here. Um, the grad transfer into into Georgia, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's just uh, as we're talking about a lot of these guys, it seems like a theme that keeps coming up. It's just that that's sort of where college offenses are a lot of the times now, and um, increasingly where NFL offenses are. So maybe that does make it uh, an easier transition uh, for scouts looking at it, but. Um, I know there certainly are some NFL teams that still like to live vertically and, and that's, you know, really build that into their offenses to push the ball down the field. So, uh, you know, just kind of wonder what they're seeing if a guy's only throwing, uh, you know, a couple throws a game in that 10 to 20 yard window even. So um, maybe just something to track. I, like I said, I wanted to ask about Komet because I think you had him um, among your tight ends to watch headed into this year and he had a really good game for them. Do you see him as, uh, you know, sort of the classic inline guy at the next level, or is he a movable piece? I mean, what's what's your best fit for him moving forward? Yeah, and I wrote about him uh, last week in my uh, weekend preview of guys who I thought were going to have an impact on the game and you know prospects to watch. And Komet was one of uh, two or three Notre Dame players that I. Uh, highlighted because it was his 2019 debut. He uh, broke his collarbone in early August uh, during fall camp and uh, or summer camp and uh, was on the shelf the first few weeks of the season. So Notre Dame, obviously we saw the impact that he made uh, and they didn't waste any time getting him to football. I mean, he was targeted well, almost 10 times in the first half alone. And uh, you could see why he is He's your classic uh, NFL tight end. He, you can line him up in line. You can line him up in the slot. You can line him up as a receiver. Uh, he's not, you know, a dynamic athlete like a Noah Fant, Evan Ingram. He's not that type. He's more of your, uh, you know, prototypical uh, tight end that's going to have be in uh, a good athlete, not a great athlete, but he has the size, the power where he can block and, and make a be a factor in that that area of your offense. Uh, he, he was a two-sport athlete, played baseball at Notre Dame, uh, just gave it up in the spring, though, so now he can focus on uh, football and uh, his goal of reaching the NFL. And, uh, you know, this, this tight end class, we've talked about, it's not a 
we, we don't have a clear number one tight end in this group, but Komet, he's one of the top five in the country, in my opinion, uh, with his with his skill set to do a little bit of everything and be a, a quality option there. Yeah, I mean, I, I like you said, he's it's a different type of guy than Noah Fant. I mean, do you see him more as like Hawkinson was obviously the other one from that team that uh, is now having a big impact? Are we? I don't know that we're talking about Komet in that range yet. You know, top twenty guy, but like. Is he a day two potential guy for you? Oh, I think so. I mean, like I said, I think he's a top five tight end. And, you know, when you look at the tight ends this year, we don't have, I don't think we have that Hawkinson, a guy that screams first round. Uh, You know, Jared Pinkney from Vanderbilt's the top senior. Um, He's been okay so far this year. Um, I I don't know if we have a first round tight end. Uh, Grant Calcaterra from Oklahoma, but he's more of a wide receiver. Uh, Colby Parkinson from Stanford, Albert O from Missouri. Um, I, one guy, and we'll, we'll talk about, um, my, my risers, uh, article here coming up, but Hunter Bryant from Washington, another uh, tight end worth mentioning. He is your Evan Ingram, Noah Fant type of athlete. Uh, and he's only six, two and a half, 245 pounds. But when you talk about that, having that athleticism being a potential, you know, mismatch up against, uh, linebackers at the NFL level, uh, Hunter Bryant's a guy that we're going to be talking about more and more, especially now that he's healthy and he's producing, uh, for the Huskies. So this tight end class, it's, it's, uh, it's a volatile group right now. I think we're, it's in flux where, you know, the rankings are fluid, uh, looking for that guy to kind of rise to the, to the top. And I think Komet is right there in that mix as a guy who could, uh, you know, maybe, uh, put a rocket pack on his back and shoot up boards yeah i mentioned the other guy that i had kind of in my notes after this week was jacob breland from oregon had like i said he had a nice touchdown catch he's been a pretty consistent receiving threat for them early on um and seems like that's probably more of his role headed to the next level just um, mm-hmm. almost that uh you know sort of modified h-back type maybe a slot guy I, I don't know if you see more from him in terms of his blocking like if he's that three down more classic tight end uh if i if i'm missing my evaluation on him so far but uh that's a guy that i think has been impressive early in the season yeah i I agree he is he is producing well and he's uh, emerged as uh one of the more reliable targets for justin herbert um i i think you have him right i I, he came into the year with mostly pfa grades from scouts and I, i think he's still kind of in that range where he's borderline draftable trying to get his name uh, into the the final rounds of the draft on the day three. And I think he can certainly do that. Uh, he's 6'5", 250 pounds, probably going to run in the four eights. You know, not not a great athlete, but a good athlete and, uh, you know, for that position. And so far, so good this year in terms of his production and what he's meant to that Oregon offense. So, uh, no, I, I think it's you're absolutely right to, uh, you know, kind of call him out as a guy that we need to be talking about, um, especially because, again, this senior – or the tight end class in general uh, has a lot of question marks, a lot of guys that have some talent, but really looking for uh, you know guys to step up and show why they deserve to be drafted. You mentioned getting into your list of uh, 12 guys who are rising, um, potentially rising up draft boards right now. You've got someone from Wisconsin on there, so I'll, I'll transition to that game. I feel like we should at least mention it. Um, had to, had to build a bonfire with all my khaki pants on Saturday night, <laughs> but uh, you know our Shea Patterson discussion. <laughs> we probably won't have to do that again <laughs> for a while. Um, but Jonathan Taylor again, just uh, you know, uh, obviously Wisconsin dominated that game up front and really had Michigan off balance defensively from 
the the first moment they touched the ball. But Jonathan Taylor again was just great, and you can see the breakaway speed. I think the thing that's continues to be extremely impressive with him is you know he had some of those runs where the long touchdown run pretty much opened up right at the line, and he just you know he found that hole, outran everyone. He had a few plays where Michigan actually looked like they had him pinned in, and he just has the vision to find those spots that uh, to be able to get outside, you know, whether it's use the speed to get outside or just find a little crease to turn a two-yard loss into a four- or five-yard gain. His vision's uh, really impressive, and then you add it in with all the physical gifts. And, uh, man, he just uh, – he's a really good college running back. Looks like he's got the potential to be a really good NFL running back too. And, um, as we've said, I think you've got to consider him at least in the Heisman race at this point. No doubt. No doubt. And I, I think we talk about first round running backs, uh, you know, how it's it, it's something that we, uh, you know, you better be pretty good if you're going to be uh, considered in the first round. Um, and you know, we only saw one last year with Josh Jacobs. Uh, you know, this year, I think there are, you know, uh, not quite a handful, but there's at least three that, you know, you could point to that as being first round possibilities and Jonathan Taylor absolutely is one of them. Uh, you know, we talk so much about decision-making for quarterbacks and how important that is. We don't talk nearly enough about decision-making for running backs. And that's what makes Jonathan Taylor so special because like you said, the vision, uh, and, uh, not only the vision, but the patience, uh, and then having the athleticism to quickly bounce runs, uh, to an opposite lane or to anticipate where that hole is going to open up or where that defender is coming from. That run decision making is so crucial. Uh, when you are attacking the line of scrimmage and it's just a mass of human bodies, you have to quickly survey, uh, not see what's right in front of you and have that tunnel vision, but to expand your vision, have that widescreen vision and see what all is going on. Uh, but it also comes from tape study and understanding what the defense is trying to do. You can tell Jonathan Taylor not only has physically and athletically what you need to be a productive running back, but mentally with the way he sees the field. Um, and then just a the preparation. Uh, he's not going out there and just, you know, doing this all on a whim. And, uh, you know, he's not just a physically dominant player. He's, he is a very good player, but you could tell that he puts the time in behind the scenes where uh, he's watching film. He's studying these guys. He knew exactly how that Michigan defense was going to attack him, how he could uh, press the hole, fool the linebackers, and, and then create that yardage for himself. And then the power. Uh, I mean, his yards after contact, uh, he's going to have over a 1,000 yards this year just after contact. Uh, he's really, really <laughs> special all around. So the biggest questions for me coming into the year with Jonathan Taylor were the fumbles and what he could do for you on passing downs. And so far, he's held on to the football. And Wisconsin, they must have been listening because they are putting him in position uh, to uh, catch more passes uh, and be more of a factor on those passing downs. So uh, Wisconsin, I, I mean, I, I won't you know bury Michigan too much, uh, even though you know coming off the bye, that the, I know is it's a hard place to play in Madison. But I mean, coming off the bye, you you expect better from an offensive game plan, a defensive game plan, 
And we talked about Shea Patterson coming in, how it's kind of make or break. Like, you know, you want to be, you want to go to the senior bowl. You want to be a draft pick. You want to have a pro future. You need to show evaluators why. And it's not just what you have on paper. It's that you can keep your your team in ball games. And I mean, he was pretty abysmal in the first half and then eventually pulled uh, during halftime. But to his credit, he came back in the second half and had a couple touchdown passes. But too little, too late at that point. So, uh, you know, Shea Patterson's a guy who's he's barely hanging on at this point as as a prospect. Um, it's really a missed opportunity for him. Um, I don't. The rest of this Michigan, uh, and it's really it's disappointing because I I love these Michigan receivers. I, there's so yeah. much talent with Nico Collins and Tariq Black and uh, Peoples Jones. Uh, there's so much talent there, and we don't get to see it nearly enough. Um, I, I don't. Is Michigan? Do you think that they can turn this around? I mean, they've got you know got Rutgers coming up, and their schedule is fairly manageable. Um, you know, with some of these Big Ten opponents, but I don't know, can they turn this around? <laughs> is there something they can do this year? And Wisconsin, because Wisconsin's a really good team. I don't want to take anything away from them. Um, sure, but still, we expected better from Michigan in that game, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, for sure. And I don't. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if they can turn it around. I mean, I think it's been surprising how mediocre the offensive lines looked um I, like you said i don't think patterson played well i think that just in general those receivers uh i was talking with nick nick baumgartner who uh covers uh, michigan michigan state and alliance for us up at the athletic detroit about like if you take nico collins and put him in the, like ohio state's offense he's a 1500 yard receiver probably right. this year you know like he just has that type of talent so i'm not entirely sure what's going on um, with the play calling and the scheme, if they're just having that much trouble transitioning uh, to Josh Gaddis's system, but you know it obviously wasn't clicking for him um, Saturday. So uh, we'll see uh, Rutgers, and then Iowa comes in in two weeks. That's uh, you know that's that's probably your next chance to make a statement. Looks like at at this point you're probably going to have Shea Patterson starting both those games because Dylan McCaffrey took that huge hit, uh, had the concussion in the second half, so. Uh, maybe some redemption opportunities for Patterson and Michigan moving forward. Um, but like I said, you had a Wisconsin player on your list of 12 uh, rising college players who are rising in the eyes of NFL teams. Uh, your prospect recap coming out of this week. Um, you had Zach Bond, the linebacker from Wisconsin. But I just want to sort of open it up and let you handpick a few guys here on this list. If there's anyone you really wanted to highlight, it, there are, uh, are some names we've touched on, Joe Burrow and – uh, Jacob Easton a little bit, Jalen Hurts, um, but but the rest of these names, um, yeah, at least a few of them that people might just now starting to get familiar with. Yeah, and I, you, some of these names people will know. Uh, Joe Burrow, I'm spoiler alert, he's number one on the list. Um, it's how can you not be impressed with what he's done so far? Uh, Sixteen uh, passing touchdowns last year. He already has seventeen this year. Uh, he absolutely lit up Vanderbilt. He just looks like a different a quarterback, and it starts with what he can do in the pocket, um, avoiding pressure, keeping his eyes downfield, and then being more accurate uh, when he's when he's targeting uh, his on throws, especially deep. He's doing a really nice job, and his receivers are stepping up. The coaches are doing a nice job. Um, so you know, credit to everybody involved there, the LSU program, but credit to Joe Burrow. Uh, he's put himself. You know, I don't want to say he's going to. Um, you know, it's, I think it's a little premature to say he's going to. You know, push for 
you know, top 20 first round. Like, but I think when you talk about the top quarterbacks in next year's draft, you have to mention Joe Burrow. I mean, he, he is putting NFL starting level tape um, together so far. And, and listen, what he does against Alabama later this year, uh, what he does against, uh, you know, secondaries that have future NFL players like Florida coming up, what he does against those defenses will carry a lot more weight. But to this point, where we are right now, if the draft was held tomorrow, I think Joe Burrow is going a lot higher than we initially thought. Um, you had three quarterbacks on this list with uh, Jacob Beeson, Jalen Hurts. Um, you mentioned Wisconsin uh, was represented with Zach Bond, who might be this year's uh, you know, early candidate to be this year's version of Blake Cashman, who really underrated out of Minnesota. I mean, I, I still... Uh, I like reading the responses when I posted my draft rankings going into the combine. Uh, Cashman was my sixth linebacker or something like that. And uh, I had a lot of responses. Like, Who the heck is Blake Cashman? And uh, to his credit, he I didn't think he'd run as well as he did, but he, he ran really well at the combine and uh, ended up being a fifth-round pick of the Jets and seeing a lot of playing time right now with C.J. Mosley hurt and some of the injuries they have on defense in New York. Uh, but he's just a really quality player. And that's what Zach Bond is uh, for the Badgers. Uh, we, obviously, Wisconsin, they, they're able to find those linebackers. They've uh, produced quite a few in recent years. And he was terrific uh, against Michigan. A couple tackles for a loss. He had a sack. Uh, use him as a blitzer. They'll drop him in coverage. I think his athletic profile really gives you versatility with with how you want to use him and um, down and distance and you know whether it's sub packages whatever he he can do a lot for you. So I think he's on that list. He earned a spot. Um, I mentioned Hunter Bryan earlier, uh, the tight end from Washington. He's on there. Chuba Hubbard with the production that that he had. Oklahoma State. They they lost to Texas Saturday night, but and I think the Longhorns did a fairly good job of um, bottling up Hubbard. He still had 120 yards uh, rushing, um, and he still has uh, he still leads the FBS in rushing yards, almost 100 more than uh, the second place uh, on the on the rushing list. So he deserves to be on there. Uh, there's a couple wide receivers. Uh, one of my favorite group of five prospects. Uh, is on this list and a player that uh, fans need to know, Alex Highsmith uh, from Charlotte, uh, a guy who's really blossoming. Uh, late bloomer out of high school, and uh, he's really putting things together at the right time. Um, he's one of the top uh, uh, in terms of sacks. I think he's, uh, I don't know, he's top 10 somewhere. Um, and uh, you can see against Clemson, they paid him the ultimate respect because against Clemson, not only did Dabo Sweeney call him the best player they've played against so far this year, but their game plan on offense was to go away from him. They forced the 10 other defenders on Charlotte's defense to beat him or to beat them. And that's what they did. And, uh, you know, hey, they didn't have much trouble with Charlotte, but I think Alex Highsmith uh, definitely proved himself as a name that fans need to know. I'll actually have another piece on Alex Highsmith coming out. Uh, tomorrow or sometime this week on The Athletic where um, I kind of uh, broke him down. I talked to him and talked to some of his coaches, and um, so fans can look forward to that. A few other receivers, uh, Devin Duvernay, a guy we've talked about. Um, Michael Pitt, Pittman from USC had a huge game Friday night uh, in USC's upset win of over Utah. Michael Pittman is a big part of that. Uh, you know, Michael Pittman, most people remember that name, running back in the NFL. Uh, this is Michael Pittman Jr., his son. Uh, not a running back. He's a 6'4", 225-pound wide receiver. And 
Uh, he's not a burner, probably a four-five-five type of athlete. But when the ball's in the air, he does an outstanding job tracking it, uh, going up and getting it, high pointing it with his hands. Uh, really physical receiver, so he can do something after the catch. Uh, so those are just a few of the names on this list. But encourage everybody to check it out and see who else has made the list. Yeah, and uh, I will say it really helps me too. Like Alex Highsmith, not a, just with what my schedule is on the weekend. Tra- you know, this week I was traveling to Philadelphia for the Lions Eagles game and covering that game Sunday. So, uh, like seeing Alex Highsmith on there, and then like you mentioned, hearing some of the praise coming out of that uh, game against Clemson, like it definitely helps me to <laughs> pick out some of these other guys too. So I appreciate that. But uh, Devin Duvernay, like you said, we've talked about him. I'm pretty all in on this dude at this point. Like I just you mentioned the it, he's pretty powerful for his size, like five eleven. You've got him five eleven, two oh nine. He's like um, a running back, right? After the yeah, catch. I mean, but I also think like uh, for me, I think he looks crisper in his routes than he did before. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff that he's doing at the top of his routes. Um, I think he had the touchdown catch this week where, you know, he just sort of he got to the top of his route, made the break, and and really the defensive back didn't have a chance to stay with him. I think he's been really good um with that and that, especially if you're gonna play in the slot. Like that's uh, you know, something that NFL teams are gonna be looking for is just how how much uh development you're gonna need in that aspect of things. I mean, that's obviously a, the case with all wide receivers, but especially those guys that you're gonna be counting on to you know, work between the hash marks and run some of those option routes and all those sorts of things. And I think he's been just so impressive across the board. As you wrote, you know, he's got 39 catches already this year. So he's obviously a big piece in that offense. Um, and yeah, like I said, I, I'm a huge fan of his. I did want to ask about just real quick about Carlos Basham. You have a couple Wake Forest guys on here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got him on there, the the edge from there. Um, I, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it helps people to put uh, some of these prospects in perspective, you know, relative to other guys they might have heard of. But um, Wake Forest produced uh, Duke Ajiafor last year, uh, the 2018 draft. Like, I don't know mm-hmm. if he compares to him at all for you or is he a, sort of his own entity? Yeah, I, I mean, I think you could draw some comparisons there. And really why, I, you know, Ajiafor has really battled with uh, a shoulder injury. And I, I think that's why we haven't yeah. heard more of him as a pro because uh, I thought he was a really good player, you know, a day two edge rusher. And, um, you know, Carlos Basham is, uh, you know, he, he's ascending. He's, I think he has uh, maybe a little more juice than Ejiofor had. Um, and I think he's a little more powerful. Uh, you know, he's 6'5", just under 280. Um, and he's a guy that you're not going to stop. Uh, you know, you watch him and offenses can't stop him. They can slow him down a little bit, uh, especially when they double him and um, do different things. They can slow him down, but you're not going to stop him. The energy is just relentless. He doesn't quit. And he he has four and a half sacks this year. He's tied with Chase Young in uh, terms of quarterback pressures. They're both in the top 10 in all of college football. Um, And that's with Basham playing a lot of nose tackle this year where, you know, they, when they get the off there or the uh, opponents in, you know, passing downs, They'll rush uh, three or four, but they'll move Basham inside over the center and get more athletes on the edges. Um, and so I think that takes away some of uh, some of the opportunities for Basham really to pad the stat sheet. Uh, so that's just another reason why you know sacks great number, great stat, but uh, something that can be a little deceiving. Uh, and, but he still has been productive with four and a half sacks. So yeah, I think Carlos Basham is a name that. 
uh, is going to push for ACC Defensive Player of the Year, and I, you know, he's going to it's going to be tough to beat out Isaiah Simmons at Clemson um, and some other guy, you know, Charles Snowden from Virginia, I think should be up for that, and a few other guys. But I think he's going to be right there in that mix. He's going to be um, maybe not quite. Uh, you know Bradley Chubb, for what, you know what Bradley Chubb was in the ACC a couple years ago, uh, but he's going to have a similar type of impact for Wake Forest. And hey, Wake Forest might be the second best team in the ACC uh, behind Clemson. Someone has to be. Well, yeah, that's very true. Uh, but, I mean, Basham's a, a reason why. Basham, Sage Surratt, yeah. Newman at the quarterback. I mean, they, Wake Forest has has some dudes on that team. Yeah, that's been an interesting interesting trend lately too, both in college and the NFL. Is seeing some of those you know two seventy, two eighty pound guys drop inside, and teams really just overloading with whether it's a three man front that's basically all edge rushers, or you know one oversized edge rusher and two traditional edge rushers, and then you bring the linebackers up, or whether you go you know four edge rushers and just sort of load up across the line. I think we've seen a lot of teams start to use guys like that in the nose tackle spot, um, and I, you know I wanted to swing over before we wrap up here to spend a couple minutes uh, on the NFL because we spent so much time last week kind of teeing up the quarterbacks and then Gardner Minshew went out uh, got the win on Thursday night over Tennessee Daniel Jones four total touchdowns <laughs> two passing two rushing 336 through the air I don't know that you could ask much more from him in that opener they get the win uh, thanks to the missed few goal late by Tennessee or by Tampa Bay I mean um any uh, any thoughts on either of those two guys and how they looked in their those NFL performances? I have to feel so good for Daniel Jones with as much crap yeah. as he took uh, from even I remember at this time last year, um, you know, I posted my way too early quarterback rankings at top five, and Daniel Jones was one of them. And I I heard from Duke fans that were like, "What are you talking about? This guy is not very good." <laughs> and uh, at that point, I wasn't. I, you know, I, I had studied him, but it was more what I was hearing. And, you know, there were a few NFL teams that really, really liked Daniel Jones. And as you as we went throughout the season, um, you know, came back from that shoulder injury. And, uh, you know, he, it was clear he was the best player in that Duke offense. And he didn't have much around him. Um, but the production wasn't great. And then as we went into draft season, he didn't look particularly good again at the senior bowl. He was okay. Uh, but, you know, it started so poorly that he had nowhere to go but up. Um, and then... Uh, had an okay combine and but you know I think he uh, I would have taken Dwayne Haskins if I were the Giants you know picking top 10 um, but you know I had I had no problem with him going in the first round because I think he's a a b-level starter I think he can do everything that Kirk Cousins has done in the NFL um, and you know that that's that can get you to the playoffs and help you compete. Um, but you know, my criticism of Daniel Jones was more, I thought Dwayne Haskins had the higher upside, uh, as a quarterback, but he received, it was kind of like Josh Allen two years ago. Uh, people really went out of their way to bash this kid <laughs> yeah. and say how terrible he yeah. is and how much of a bust he's going to be. And, um, you know, it's, it's something that got a little heavy handed and, uh, personal almost. So for him to go out there and, and look, he's going, we talked about this on our Thursday show last week. It, there's going to be ups and downs this year for any rookie quarterback. And Daniel Jones, especially once defenses, uh, coordinators, they get tape on him and, you know, they figure out what he likes to do with his, with his legs as well as his arm, especially with Saquon Barkley out. There are going to be some low points for him this year. But for him to go out and have that debut, get the win, have the production, good on him. Uh, that's, uh, should get people off his back at least for, uh, one week. 
Yeah, I mean, just really impressive. Like you said, it's we'll see week to week how this goes. But uh, also, <laughs> you know, kind of fun to see just the two very different quarterback personalities and see how that plays out. You know, Gardner Minshew's got like the like that Joe Namath. You know, <laughs> he was at that Washington State game, uh, the cutoff jean shorts, and then he's got you know, just like he's <laughs> that guy that wants to be out in front of the camera, just a super fun personality. And then Daniel Jones, you know, the, more of the laid back like cerebral guy that uh sometimes that is better than the the guy that wants to be out front and sometimes it's not and sort of track that too as we move forward if the, assuming they both stick in the starting lineups i think Dwayne haskins is probably going to be starting sooner rather than later too although i don't know how much you want to be behind that washington offensive line given what we've seen but i can't imagine they stick with uh with Case Keenum too much longer there either. So it uh, could end up with even more sure. quarter, rookie quarterbacks uh, starting here. Um, and we'll get into – yeah, sorry. One no, other thing on, Mar- uh, on on Minshew. Uh, yeah. On the Dan Patrick show this week, uh, Dan asked, who is the cockiest quarterback you have ever come across? Ever. <laughs> Troy Aikman has played a lot of – played a lot of football. He's covered a lot of football. He's been around the game for the last few decades. Uh, and his answer was – Maybe it's because I called the game last night, but maybe Gardner Minshew. And so, I mean, that for him, for Troy Aikman to say that tells you what type of confidence <laughs> that Gardner Minshew is playing with right now. And that shows in his play and it rubs off on his teammates. And that confidence level is just paramount to playing quarterback. And it's you know, a perfect example of what we're seeing with Minshew right now. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I was about to say, you know, we'll talk a little bit more uh, as we preview this upcoming week in the NFL on our show later this week on Thursdays, we've got some more big games in college football too. Virginia goes to Notre Dame, uh, USC's at Washington, Ohio State, maybe a tester at Nebraska. We'll see if anyone can slow down Ohio State. It hasn't looked like it so far, but um, should be another good week, I think. Yeah, I think so too. And um, Coach Frost at Nebraska came out and said that uh, after watching tape, uh, I have no doubt that this Ohio State team is way better than last year's team. Uh, so he's he knows what's about to come to Lincoln, and we'll see if he can put together a plan to stop it. But, yeah, we'll look forward to breaking down all those games on Thursday. Yeah, Nebraska almost got them last year, so we'll see. Maybe that uh, should be a fun one to watch, at least. Those games in Nebraska are always fun under the lights. But, uh, as I said, we'll talk about that Thursday. That's our show. Again, reminder, that's exclusively for the athletic subscribers. So, uh, make sure you get on the website if you haven't subscribed already. Um, as I've mentioned in the past, hit us up. I'm at Chris Burke NFL. Dane's at DP Brugler on Twitter. We can uh, fi- help you find a uh, little subscription uh, package. Make sure you get some money off as you're subscribing to The Athletic. But uh, that Thursday show is behind the paywall. So if you want to check that out and listen as we preview upcoming weekend of college football, and the NFL, make sure you get in and uh, take advantage of everything that athletic subscription gives you. So um, again, for Dane Brugler and our producer, Kent Garrison, I'm Chris Burke, and we'll talk to you later this week.